Front office, please hold. And welcome, everybody, to the inaugural Front Office Podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining us this week. As always, I want everyone to know that you should be supporting local wherever you can. I know that's just a, you know, a thing that people should understand already, but please go do that. There's lots of people out there that are looking for anything to keep them afloat right now, so please go and support local. Now that we've got that shit out of the way, I want to get into the nitty gritty of it and welcome these two fine gentlemen uh, that are on this podcast with me. So first off, I want to introduce my man, Kevin Kelly. Oh, yeah. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. We don't, we don't know any songs. Oh, God. We don't know any songs. We probably should have practiced this. Oh, God. Are we live on the radio? Perfect. Perfect. And of course... Uh, my other buddy, Jethro Constance. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> so, as you guys have probably seen already or heard already, we are woefully unprepared for this first episode. We have so many kids in our lives that take up too much of our time. And realistically, the reason why we're doing this is because, you know, fuck it. Why not? Um, <clears throat> so, if you haven't heard already, there is some cussing in this podcast. So, if you're listening with your children, please, you know, you've been warned. Um, so, yeah, gentlemen, let's get on with the first podcast. So, this week, we are breaking down the national championship game that happened last week and ultimately deciding what makes a national dynasty in college football. Nick Saban. So, <laughs> <laughs> but first, before we get into that, I just wanted to, you know, talk about a relevant thing that's going around in, in the world of sports today. So not sure if you guys have, have been keeping up with everything, but have you seen what the Buffalo Bills Mafia has done for Lamar Jackson's charity after the game? I believe so. I, I, I saw something like a, something having to do with his charity. Well, I, I don't really watch sports, so why don't you guys fill me in? <laughs> so <laughs> Lamar Jackson got injured. Um, in the fourth quarter of that game, the moment he the moment he got injured, the Buffalo Bills fan base started a GoFundMe to raise money for his favorite charity. In 24 hours, they had raised over $125,000. As we stand here today, the number is close to half a million dollars. Wow! So, you know what, Buffalo? You can Spread. say what you want about them. They have been the most snake bitten franchise in the NFL, but you know, good for them. They finally got over the hump. They got that win. And, you know, just to show how great that fan base actually is. And remember, this is the group that did the same thing for Andy Dalton's favorite charity when he actually beat the Baltimore Ravens to get Buffalo in the playoffs a couple of years ago. So this fan base in Buffalo is actually something incredible. And, you know, just wanted to, you know, bring that out there. So all those Bills fans that are out there that are donating to causes like that, kudos to you. Your team finally got over that hump. Hopefully they can go in next week and play the Chad Henney led Kansas city chiefs. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll see how that all plays out, but uh, yeah. So as we go forward here, as uh, you know, as all of us are going to have an input in this show, 
each of us have been assigned a certain topic and a certain segment that we're going to be responsible for. So without further ado, we've got Kevin Kelly with his first installment of <laughs> so kev what is grinding your beans today okay but first we got to clarify something here the reason it's called grinding beans has nothing to do with what you're thinking of right now it's everything to do with my love of coffee but at the end of the day what really grinds my beans is the ncaa and their absolute BS attempt at recognizing the financial benefit they get from the players in their league by announcing earlier in the season that they are going to start compensating players in a future date. If there was ever a year for them to compensate their players, it was this year. They needed to move the needle up on this, take a look at what's happening in the world, and don't forget, these are players, especially the, the big college players that we all kind of know that within three years, they're all going to be making, uh, you know, millions of dollars in the pros or quite a large chunk of them are going to be making millions of dollars in the pros. But they might be coming from backgrounds that have, uh, you know, very little financial means. And if there was ever a time for them to give back some of the profit they make off the backs of these players, it was now in the height of a once in a generation or even lifetime uh, pandemic, it was now. All the things that they had to deal with to balance school, COVID protocols, and um, just a, a lopsided weird season. And you take a look at that national championship game, you got <laughs> one competitor has seven games under their belt. It didn't start their season until late October. You got the other competitor who's got 12 games under their belt because they were part of the American South and they started playing back in August. So if there was ever a time for them to move the needle up and start compensating players justly, it was this year. And that's what's really grinding my beans, especially watching that national championship game, knowing how many of the kids that were on the bench that probably could have used um, you know, that money to get them through this year because they got another two years before they have a chance to declare for the NFL draft and start making money, right? Those are the players that I thought of the most, you know, aside from the Justin Fields and, and Trevor Lawrence's of the world, when you look at, you know, they're going to be making more money than any of us are ever going to make, certainly off this unprepared podcast. Um, they're going to be making that very shortly. It's those ones in their first year who got a while to go, whose family might've been taking out loans to make it possible for them to go and compete and pursue their dream. Here now in the midst of a pandemic, absolutely shameful that they didn't move the needle up and compensate players this year kev coming kev. out of the gate hot that's it for it. me good night everybody <laughs> <laughs> let's get into you know the nitty-gritty talking about you know speaking of ncaa we're going to talk about the national championship game that happened last weekend um or last monday i should say so both of you i was texting with you throughout the game I got two words for that, you know, for what I saw during, you know, during that game. That's holy shit. How good is that Alabama program at this current moment in time? 
you talk about a national powerhouse and this is at the top level the best two teams in the country in my mind actually made the you know actually made the championship and ohio state as good as they were didn't even look like they were on the same level as alabama was and this is a team that you know valentine's purposes rolled over a national powerhouse in clemson the week before so you know, when you break it down, Alabama has done something special since Nick Saban has arrived on campus. And, you know, when you're looking at, you know, building that national champion, the national contender, that national perennial contender, you know, what types of things are you guys looking at and what types of things that, you know, you see out there are, that are happening? What are, the, what are these programs doing that these other programs aren't? I, I, I think... <clears throat> When I, when I thought about this question, the, the, the thing I thought about the most was they're, they're making millionaires, right? What I mean by that is you're going to attract the best players, the, the, the studs around the country to your program if you could tell them, hey, look at how many of our guys got drafted last year. Hey, look at how many of our guys are pro bowlers. Hey. Look at how many of our guys are making millions of dollars. Because when you're talking to these people, to these kids, right, I can't say these people, you people, um, <laughs> you, you, you got to think about, about the situations, right? Kev, you touched on it when you, in your, in your segment, a lot of these kids are, you know, they're not, you know, coming from affluent families. They're, they're coming from situations where, you know, they they have parents and some of them single parents, some of them no parents at all. They're coming from some tough situations, right? So they're looking to secure a future where they can provide for themselves and provide for people around them. Unfortunately, sometimes you look at documentaries and they have to provide for their entourage, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> However, they want they want a path to the NFL, right? So if they want a path to the NFL, how do you do that? Okay. Alabama has won, was it six now? Six national six, championships? Seven. Yep. Six. So, so seven for Saban and six at Alabama, right? So it, it, of course you're going to attract guys. You're going to say, hey, uh, by the way, you know, uh, I've won six championships. We're a powerhouse. We're top three every single year. We're on TV. So you're going to get maximum exposure every single year in prime time. You're going to have recruiters watching you. You're going to have everyone's eyes on you. OK, some kids, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I don't I don't want that pressure. I don't want um, I don't want to I want to stand out in another situation. But they realize as well, if you stick out on an Alabama squad like you're you're a millionaire, you know, what I mean, <clears throat> and that's at the end of the day, that's their goal. That's where they want to be. You know what I mean? So if, if that's the path to making it to the NFL and it's no disrespect to the other schools, but you know, it, there's, there's nothing that pops out to you like, Oh, this guy played on the, you know, this, first of all, Nick Saban went to get that kid, which is a big deal in itself, right? Like this guy's won six national championships. He's not just going to get anybody. If you go in on that program, then you're special. You're not walking in as just a, you know, Mr. Nobody. Right. So already Oh, this, this kid, Devonte Smith. Oh, well, he's undersized. <clears throat> we, they call him the slim, the slim reaper. Like, who is this kid? He's kind of small, but, but wait, 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 wait. Nick Saban is vouching for this kid. 
oh, okay, like we, we probably have to take a look at him. And then he, the kid basically beat Ohio State by himself. You know, that was one of the most ridiculous halftime stat lines I've ever seen. Some people don't get that in an entire season. He got it in a half, right? But, but Jed, mm-hmm. let, let, let me just kind of interject there. You know, it's all, it's all good what you're saying. You know, mm-hmm. you've, got, you've got the prestige of the coach, the prestige of the program, you know, mm-hmm. you flash these trophies and rings and television exposure. What if a school doesn't have that, right? What mm-hmm. if a school doesn't have any of those things? You know, what can these coaches go out and do? I mean, I, I'm looking at when, <clears throat> when Alabama was, you know, was obviously rolling before Nick Saban got there, mm-hmm. they weren't even on the map. Mm-hmm. You know, they had, they had their, their time when Bear Bryant was, you know, running things in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, they had a couple of decent runs, you know, one in the 80s, one in the 90s. Um, but ultimately, you look at Alabama, they weren't even a top 25 program until Nick Saban got there. You know, you look at, you know, you look at some of these other programs that have popped up out of nowhere. Um, I, I mean, Central Florida. How did Central Florida become what they are today, given what they have and given what they had? There has to be something that, you know, these guys are doing that other guys aren't willing to do. So Blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I'll point out some of the aspects that make a dynasty that are similar to Jet. It's easy to look at Alabama and find examples of how they are uh, a dynasty or what they're doing. And and to point out the easy ones, so Jet talked about how many people are going to send to the pros. Absolutely. But think from the mind of a kid who's in high school, who's, uh, you know, a five-star recruit or even a three-star recruit, but is has interest from Alabama or any other big school, right? Ohio State, Michigan, um, USC, any of the big the power five schools that you can think of that have an interest in a player means all of them likely have that interest, right? Clemson. Georgia, all these schools, if they show interest in a player, then that kid can probably go to any of the other big name schools in the NCAA. So what's going to set those schools apart? Well, you know, they'll give you a tour of campus. They'll show you this awesome field house. They'll show you the players lounge. They'll show you the never ending 24 seven food. They all have it. So you're, you're not going to pick one school because of the awesome buffet they have in their players lounge because they all have that. What, sets Alabama apart is the stat that I read the other day that if you were a player that has committed to Nick Saban at Alabama and you played the minimum amount of years before you can declare for the NFL draft you have at least one national championship so you think about that that's a stat that if I'm a kid I you know you can look at the Canadian example right when we look at Laval right University of Laval if you go to Laval for a five-year or even a four-year run, you're going to win a national championship of any cup. You, you think about the Carleton University Ravens in Canada as well. If you go there, you're likely going to win a national championship just because of what they've established. will always keep that revolving door going. So if you're a kid who is a go-getter on top of being, you know, if you're someone who really wants to win, top of being an awesome football player, you're going to go to Alabama if that's an option for you, right? So that I think is always going to be what sets them apart. They've established this over time. That's going to set them up for, you know, years to come, even after Saban's gone, after he retires, they're still going to win national championships because of what's been put into place. 
Um, but that doesn't explain the UCF. It doesn't explain um, other schools that start having success all of a sudden, right? Uh, what really sets them apart, and I think it's very clear, um, is the coach, right? You said at the beginning when you introduced the topic, who your head coach is determines how successful your program is going to be at recruiting players, the reputation of your program, the coaches that want to come and work for that coach, because we've been there. We know how good a head coach can be, but they're nothing without coordinators and positional coaches that can prepare a team for game day, right? The best coordinators want to play for Saban because they know within a five-year time frame they're going to be a head coach at another big school or maybe go go to the NFL, right? He is going to attract a head coach of a program if they are worth their weight in gold is going to attract all the pieces just by who they are. So even even with Nick Saban, maybe his reputation precedes him, but before Nick Saban was Nick Saban, he was still a person that attracted people. He was charismatic enough. He was uh, you know, had that gentle demeanor. He was honest. He had integrity. He had all the aspects of a true leader that make, you know, the books that he writes worth reading. It makes him who he is. And Alabama is just the school that invested in him, right? If he didn't go to Miami and stayed with LSU, well, LSU would be the Alabama we're talking about right now. It's who Nick Saban is as a head coach that's made them be who they are. And you look at the programs that you talk about that turn it around or start to build their programs that bring in the right head coach who fits all those categories. Yeah. Honestly, Kev, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, talking to, to Dwayne, our, our special guest this week, you know, obviously he played a really good program at Virginia tech, but back then they weren't the Virginia tech that they are now. Frank Beamer got the head coaching job in 1987 and the things that Dwayne touches on, you know, he, you know, Kevin, you said it again, his integrity. He was a straight shooter. He didn't feel like he was being sold something when he was getting recruited. He pitched a vision for what he had for the program. He wasn't going out there promising national championships. He wasn't going out there promising this. He was telling him what he wanted for his program. And ultimately, a college head coach is the CEO of a company. He has to mold that group in his image if he wants it to be successful. And all those things come into play. So you know, even looking back at one of the most, you know, microwave dynasties in college football, the Miami Hurricanes, you look at the way that Howard Schnellenberger did it back in the 80s. You know, fortune favors the bold, as, as the old saying goes. And, you know, he was willing to do stuff that was unconventional at the time. He was going into the inner city and recruiting kids that, you know, people were afraid to go in and get. He was going and setting off boundaries of like, we're going to get every top kid from this area. They called the state of Miami. They drew a line from Fort Lauderdale all the way across to the other side of, of the state and all the way down. And they didn't lose one single kid or their mission was to not lose one single kid from that area. And that's huge. You, you look at all these dynasty programs, they own their backyard. They recruit well in their backyard because one, that's how the lifeblood of a program exists. You could strike out on 95% of kids that are coming in from out of town. But if you own your backyard, and it's rich with football. You're going to compete. You look at how Texas does it every year. They're not the best team every, every year, but in a down recruiting year, you can still have a very competitive team by getting, you know, 10 or 12 kids from Texas. You know, it's a very rich state. And all of these things combined, like this is how programs compete. You have to take chances. You have to do things that are unconventional. And, you know, realistically, the old school way of doing it doesn't, doesn't compete anymore. 
guys like Nick Saban, he's been around forever, but he evolves with the game, right? He comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. And why do you think that guy has had so much success in the pros? They know how to bring these young coordinators around, these young positional coaches around to help them evolve their own game. They're always learning. They're understanding the demographics of a society. They understand how to go out and really make that honest pitch to a kid and say, I'm going to tell you the truth here because I can prove it. I've got the stats, right? But Kyle, you said it best. You, you used the name uh, Schnellenberg, Schnellenberger. Um, where's <laughs> Schnellenberger, Rudabaker, Rossifier. You think about where he came from. He was coaching at Alabama yep. and he learned under Bear Bryant. And who did he recruit to Alabama that probably is the most uh, famous recruit that he's ever been a part of? It's Joe Namath. Yeah. Right? Schnellenberger brought Joe Namath to Bear Bryant. And the yep. story of it is pretty awesome too, right? Namath was kind of a write-off. And then they he brings him down and goes, hey, Bear, uh, 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 Bryant wants to meet you, brings him down to camp. And they form a rapport and there's there's the superstardom. Those are just the, the pieces that, that you don't really hear about. Right. Like Alabama is going to be that dynasty. They're an awesome team. We love them. There's a history there. Uh, you know, the Crimson Tide, Roll Tide, blah, 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 blah. And nothing to do with that. There's lots of schools with rich history. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of schools with never ending funds. But at the end of the day, you get the right person in that position and players want to come and play for them. And the good players that want to win are going to go to Alabama and Nick Saban. Yeah. So I, I, I have some notes based on, you know, Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama that I want to bring up with you guys. We're talking about all this right now, but even when I was looking at this shit, it was mind boggling as to what kind of impact this guy has had at this school. Now I know every single Miami Dolphin fan. You're talking, I got to piss. <laughs> <laughs> every single Miami Dolphin fan out there oh, you know, would, would disagree with me. But, you know, Jet. Mm-hmm. So Nick Saban got to Alabama in 2007. Yeah. He won his first national championship in 2009. Since then, he's won five more, so he's at six. He's had three Heisman Trophy winners. He's had nine Heisman finalists that have finished in the top five in voting. Four Maxwell, three Walter Camp, three Sporting News Player of the Year, one AP Player of the Year, two Bednarics, one Nagurski, one Hornung, and 33 positional awards given out to his players during his time there. Sweet. So you, want to, so, so you want to talk about bringing in the right players. That's one thing. But obviously, he's investing in his coaching staff, too, that are getting these guys to that level. Now, mm. you know, Kev left. So, you know, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, obviously, he, he started in 2007. I just want to read to you his 2008 and 2009 recruiting classes, okay? Yeah. And these, this isn't the whole class. These are just the names that stood out to me. Yeah. 2008, Marcel Darius, Julio Jones, Mark Ingram, Terrence Cody, Dante Hightower, Baron Jones, Mark Barron, Courtney Upshaw. Good Lord. So that is eight NFL players, six of which in the, were drafted in the first round. Okay, that is his first full year of recruiting. All right, wow. 2009, it gets better. Eddie Lacy, Drake Kirkpatrick, James Carpenter, Nico Johnson, Quinton Dial, Trent Richardson, Chance Warmack, AJ McCarron, DJ Fluker. Wow. That is nine 
NFL players in that draft class, another six of which were in the first round, two of which in the second round, and A.J. McCarron obviously um, doing a pretty good job as the, as the head man uh, quarterback there. But you think about that, that's 17 guys in the span of two years that he went out and recruited that ended up being NFL draft picks. Most I missed all which, that. What I miss? Most of what you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, he said what I missed. I was going to say probably the toilet. Yeah. I did. It hit the wall. I came in. I was rushing, so I came in from the side. And, you know, when you hit something on a side angle, the bowl gets shorter, right? No, it's no, the are elongated you talk, Are you talking about number one or number two? Just number one. That was <laughs> If that was a number two, I'd still like, come on, come on, man. I say that would be impressive timing if it was number two. Right. Um, that, anyway. I cannot. There's that would have broke my record for sure. There's yeah. no way. But anyways, Cole's notes, and then I'll put it over the jet. But so basically, Kev, in his um, in his second and third recruiting classes, Nick Saban recruited 17 NFL draft picks, ten of which were in the first round. Ended up being first round. So, Jet, that list of names that I just rhymed off. Yeah. How does how does that sound to you? Sounds ridiculous. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's that that's the the word that pop that comes to mind is unfair. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like that's that's like that's like getting that's like being Thanos and getting a bunch of infinity stones with 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 little to no resistance. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and you think about it, he won his first national championship in 2009. So most of these guys that were on this program that were helping him win his national championship were sophomores and freshmen. So, so we talk about not having the prestige that, you know, he does now, you know, he goes out and gets these guys based on everything that we just said. So that is the Nick Saban effect in a nutshell, all those award winners, all of those championships, all of those first round, second round NFL draft picks, it, it's, it really does emphasize the point that in order to build a dynasty, you need to have one, the right guy in charge, and two, you need to be able to take chances where maybe the school was kind of missing that vision. You know, Nick Saban went to Alabama with a vision of what he wanted to become, and, you know, the school never had that until he got there. So moving on to the, uh, the national runner-up, the Ohio State Buckeyes, again, fantastic season. They were actually a very exciting team to watch, speed all over the field. Um, but you look at where they've kind of been. Ohio State's been on the map as a very, you know, good program, top 10, top 25, probably for the last 40 to 50 years. They're always in the conversation. Um, but really, I want to focus on where things started back in 2001. Because that's really when Ohio State got away from, you know, the old style football and they kind of renovate, you know, renewed the way that they were doing things. So, um, again, I'll just kind of go note by note here. But since 2001, they've had four head coaches. Okay. Kevin's favorite, Jim Tressel. Sweater vest himself. The, swe the sweater vest himself <laughs> was hired from, any of you guys know? Uh, Youngstown. Youngstown State, Division One AA. Wow. So at the time, Ohio State fans were probably flipping their shit because they just hired a guy who's not, you know, one of these NFL castoffs or a top, you know, uh, coordinator at a, in another, you know, top 10, top 12 school. But they took a chance on this guy because he had built something pretty special in Division One AA with Youngstown State. 
So he comes there. They go seven and five in 2001. What happened the next year, Kev? They win the national championship in overtime against mm-hmm. the Miami Hurricanes. It was for sure pass interference. Everyone remembers it. Everyone knows it. Everybody agrees. It was pass interference. I saw it. The flag came down on time. I know it did. Fabulous. Fantastic. Um, So notwithstanding, that Miami Hurricanes team is probably regarded as the best team in collaboration of players of all time. The following two drafts, I think they put out 11 first-rounders in those two drafts alone. They broke the record in 2004. That team was so talented and stacked with, you know, NFL players. But Ohio State went 14-0 with a freshman running back and a largely freshman defense and won the national championship. Since that point, Kev, do you want to take a guess as to how many conference championships Ohio State's won since 2001? All of them. You're not, you're, you're actually pretty close. They have won 12 conference championships. So 12 big 10 championships since 2001. All right. Just to be clear, there's only one record that matters at Ohio state. And I just want to hear you say it, Kyle. I want to hear the game. I want to hear the win loss record versus the school from Michigan. So you have to get it right. It's the school from up north, you Ohio State idiots. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we don't say Michigan. There you go. Um, well, let me just put it this way. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put it in a nice little bow for you. I am so happy that they didn't play this year because that game would have been ugly. I will, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, but we got our head coach a nice extension. So, you know, everything's happy. He's doing great things. He's oh, proving dude. what I'm trying to say right now. Oh, God. <laughs> you got rid of the D.C. That's a good that that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, they're, <laughs> we're not talking about them. We're talking about Ohio State. I think we're talking a little <laughs> bit about them. I mean, you can't mention Ohio State without the Michigan Wolverines. I am a proud and Mich- this current. I'll point out this. Here's a stat for you. Ohio State is the only team in the modern era to make it to a national championship game with only seven wins. Just going to put it out there. Seven wins. That's all they needed to make it to a national championship game. They are so beloved by the Associated Press that they are... Seven wins will get you there. The best best 11 seed in the country, according to Davos Swinney. Um, (laughs) So since the Big Ten broke off into divisions... Ohio State has won their division every single season since 2012, which is incredible. Um, Over that course of time, they have made it to 21 bowl games. So they've made a bowl game every single season since 2001, 17 of which have been BCS Bowls. They, they're they big fan favorites of the Fiesta Bowl for a while. Yes, they, they own the Fiesta Bowl for a long time. Um, gotcha. And, and speaking... <laughs> And again, keep in mind, keep in mind, there's four different head coaches over this time frame. But, you know, you look at the recruits that they bring in over the first four years of Jim, Jim Trestle's time there. There were 21 players drafted from his recruiting classes. Since 2001, all the way up to 2017, because you don't have guys getting drafted out of the 2018 class yet. There have been 96 players drafted in the NFL. 96 players from Ohio State. So, long story short, 
if you're watching that game last Monday, you can pretty much fill half the first round with Ohio State and Alabama players, and you call it a day, and you'd be happy. But guys, when I throw those numbers out at you, what does that what does that say about a program that has continued dominance like that, like an Ohio State? Again, it goes to um, you know what Jethro was saying before, right? If you're going to go to a school. Uh, and your ultimate goal is to play professional football in the NFL, you're going to go to this school because it has a great reputation of sending people there. Um, that reputation tends to precede you because it filters out the players that don't belong in the recruiting process. And if you're a player that can get recruited by Ohio State, I remember giving this advice to a, to a high school player that was trying to go down to the NCAA and had a few people kicking tires and there was a bit of interest. And I remember saying, it just takes one school like a like a Penn State or uh, even a Syracuse to show interest in you and you you make it known that they're interested then the other schools will start knocking because you now qualified to go to their level of recruitment Ohio State is not recruiting players uh, Alabama is not recruiting players that are not going to be already recruited by other schools that are diminutive in stature compared to them so if you're not getting recruited by those schools, there's no chance Ohio State is calling you. So they are always going to have a pool of recruits that are the best top talents in the entire country already. So they're never going to recruit duds. And even the duds they get could transfer out and start at a smaller school. And, I, and I'm probably over uh, generalizing right now but i'm pretty close to being right on this i think big schools are always going to have a pool of players to recruit from that is you know the upper echelon of available recruits and then with really going on a limb there kev yeah i'm just saying you know the super bowl champions have the best odds of winning again before any games have been played for the next season we know this but once you get once you recognize that fact then it's it's such a small game of trying to differentiate yourself as these big programs against the other programs ohio state is not recruiting players um and competing with Indiana really to get them. They're not competing with Iowa to get them unless that player is such a highly competitive player that they don't want to ride the bench for one year or two years because the depth on Ohio state is so deep, right? They're, they're not going to have to fight for that player over that school who they do have to fight for. And you look at, you know, the army all American games and the kids are on the sidelines making their choice and they got the hats in front of them. It's the same hats the same damn hats every year here's a miami hat just because it's miami and i think my dad or grandfather really liked them back in the 80s so there's the miami hat then there's the ohio state hat there's a georgia hat there's an alabama hat and a clemson hat it's the same hats and then depending on where the player is from the local school just for shits and giggles that is always going to be the case so they all have to find a way to differentiate and again it comes back to that head coaching thing yeah people say what they want about trestle I cannot believe that the scandal that saw him getting fired is any ground for firing a coach. You can't get tattoos, Kevin. That is unethical. Uh, you're going to sell some of your player kit from the 2003 Fiesta Bowl uh, to get a tattoo. Fire that coach. That is the behavior we don't stand for in the NCAA. 
any other type of behavior, totally fine. Do not take money or free tattoos or jobs. You're not allowed any of those three things. Anything that gives you any kind of uh, freebie in life, aside from the scholarship and the buffet that we give you, that's it. You're, that's all you're allowed. And if you get caught, we're going to fire the head coach. Meanwhile, they bring in Urban Meyer, who had the mafia running out of Florida for a while. Like, let, let's be up front and honest here. The mafia and a preacher. That's yeah, true. And a preacher. They're, that's all they had. But if you think about Jim Trestle, it's because he had the Mr. Rogers sweater vest. It made him too nice of a guy. It made him the fall guy. Urban Meyer, he had to really do something to get fired. That's the difference between Trestle. But we can say what we want about Trestle. At the end of the day, because of who he was, the recruiting he started, it established that modern era Ohio State dominance. And it's yeah. not even that dominant. I think their, their bowl loss record speaks volumes for how you know competitive they are, but not as competitive compared to the other programs, right? But, but that's but, but that's the expectation that they've set for themselves, though, where just making it to a BCS bowl isn't enough for them. But, you know, you're, you're 100% right. Urban Meyer probably walked into the athletic director's office every day, and, you know, smoked a blunt right in front of him and said, what are you going to do about it? He's kind of like going pro now. He's kind of like the Monopoly guy where he comes Oh, and he's going to be in Florida again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence is going to be, is going to be oh, in the news. Trevor Lawrence is going to cut his hair. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, you Shave your sideburns. You yeah. <laughs> cut your hair. I'll tell you what. You that means too hippie boy. <laughs> so so Kev, the whole time that you were talking about the whole you zoned out process, all I kept thinking was, it's like, it's like that that hot girl who says yes to go on a date with that one guy and he looks like a mongoloid. And then all the other girls are like, wait a minute. Why, why, why is she going on a date with him? I am now interested. Yes. <laughs> and then that, that makes them attractive to everybody else. That, that, exactly. I get that. that and, makes sense. The, and the girl who he originally paid a thousand dollars to, to go on that date with him. So the other girls will like him. She's laughing all the way to the bank for her ugly guy date service that she's got going on I'm telling you this is where the money's at fellas that makes prostitution sense. ncaa coaching <laughs> it's dating ugly people for money so that other people that are good looking will date those ugly people if anybody can take anything away from this show it's that the ncaa is like dating ugly people for money they're the exact same thing the ncaa it's is an only fans page it's tinder for ugly people <laughs> The NCAA serves as an escort service for, uh, as Jethro put it, a mongoloid <laughs> customer base. Speak, like, okay, okay. Well, what while does that even mean? Well, while we're on the topic of mongoloids, Kev, tell us how you feel about about your picture on on our logo. Holy good fuck! Why did someone? One, I hope, okay, now Jethro, I got to be careful here because I understand it's a family member of yours who, who made this drawing, but I've been to like family birthdays at your house. So like a family member who you refer to as family or nephew could really just be like the neighbor three doors down's brother's cousin's girlfriend. It's 2021, so that's people racist. People that are family. Who is it? Who it's is 2021, it? that's racist. <laughs> I don't see how it's racist. You said the word mongoloid. I'm pretty certain the rules are out the window on this thing. But let's be upfront oh, and honest man. here. 
No, it's, it's my who nephew. Who was the person who drew it? It's my nephew. It's my nephew. Okay, so, so shout out nephew, to Molly right? Swave. Shout out to Molly Swave. Yeah. Okay, so I don't want to be rude here, but I think of everyone in this Looney Tunes logo that this guy, nephew or, or nephew that has created for us. I look like a fucking idiot, and I'm so angry by it. Now, one, I've lost weight over the last year, and somehow that was not covered in this character. <laughs> I, Lindsay, my wife, Lindsay, has already come out and said it would have been nice if maybe they shaved it like 25 pounds off of oh. the cartoon creation, but that's nothing. My picture is so nothing compared to what I'm looking at when I see this. One, I'm going to point this out. It looks like me, Jethro, and Fred Van Vliet from two years ago are now in a podcast. I'm going to say shout out to Eric Chabanian for that chirp. But then I'm also going to point out how <laughs> Jethro's beard really yeah. is. Jethro, your beard looks like a commercial for just for men hair dye, but like the Afro Sheen product where it's so dark and black and thick that it reflects the light like a thousand diamonds. That's how your beard looks in this picture. But in actuality, it's wispy. Your beard is so wispy. <laughs> it it makes like like a homeless veteran that lives in downtown Ottawa that used to take our empties. I believe we called him the Sarge. It makes his beard look full. Okay. And I don't know that's an inside oh joke, God. but for people listening, I just want to get out here and say one, I'm very happy that your nephew was contracted. I hope there was no money involved in any way. Oh, Not to take away from his illustrating abilities. I'm just saying that I hate my picture in it. And I think that <laughs> Kyle also may look, and this is Peter Hogarth, our good friend Peter Hogarth coming out and saying this. Kyle may look like a DJ Khaled version of himself in the same light. Like maybe he has his own urban area barber shop where he services clientele from all races of the world because he's that gifted and skilled. And then Jethro probably gets his beard done there, but Kyle's such a nice guy. He doesn't have the heart to tell him and still charges him $85 to trim it. I'm just going to throw it out there. That's what that logo looks like to me. Oh, God. Also, oh I look God. like Kevin James, and I hate it. So, so essentially, all I'll say to that, Kevin, is get a better face and you won't have an argument. <laughs> It's not even the face. It's not even the face. It's not even the face. It's all, it, that's all it is. His face is, you idiot. There's three of us that are No, but okay. Hold on. That's a good point. I'm going to walk <laughs> it back. I'm more focused on the hairline. Oh I God. know I'm bald. But in the character world where Kyle has like that, that sweet, sick beard going, and even Jethro has his wispy piece of shit beard looking like a real beard, why do I got to not be a little thinner? And why can't I have more hair on my head? Okay, if we so, get to be, if, if we're a spaceman for Halloween, why don't I get to be a cowboy? Okay, All I'm so, saying. So, so here's, here's what we're going to do, Kev. We're going yep. uh, to skip. Keep in mind, I approved the logo when you sent it to me. I just said sweet, and that was it. <laughs> but I started to stew on it, and I know that your nephew, Jethro, has the capability to make me look prettier. All I'm saying. That okay. and your beard is brutal. You know, for a guy who, you know, steps out mid-fucking show and takes a piss, doesn't prepare at all for his notes, you sure have a lot of opinions on how your face looks on the logo. Well, the cue card store ran out of cue cards, so I didn't have time to make notes. Cram <laughs> it with walnuts, ugly. I'm fine. I'm fine with the way I look on it, so. Um... Well, no kidding. <laughs> 
That's you look gorgeous in it, Kyle. It's the best picture I've seen of you ever. Of course, because it's a fucking cartoon. Oh man. Exactly. Apply that to me. Why do I gotta be the ugly cartoon? Okay, okay, so so here it is. Yeah. We won't go into the weekly weird wager just yet, but here's here's my here's my thing to you. If you beat me in this week's wager, I will personally take the logo and add hair to your forehead. Thank you. Okay. And delete Jethro's beard. <laughs> no, no, no. The beard stays. I want Jethro to look like James Harden by the end of the year. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. It's funny. You know, it's well. The last time I fully shaved my beard was November 2018, and this is all I got. That's oh, mm, what? Yeah. It's pretty bad. That's over two years ago. But yeah. you know what? You know what, Kev? If you want. We can contact Molly Swaves and we can have him put a big red beard on you, just like in real life. Jesus, let's not go <laughs> crazy here. There's a reason why I stay clean shaven because nope. I have Celtic roots, and for some reason they want to grow out of my face whenever I don't shave. You know what's funny though? My, my I have I have another chat group where I was talking to some buddies and they were making fun of my beard too. It's a running joke. I know I can't grow facial hair. No, um, but it's pretty good, Jen. It, I like it. No, no, you should see my legs. I look like I wax, but it is what it is. So it's funny because I was saying, you know, I'm trying to be James Harden, but I'm more like James Soften, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> totally a dad joke, but I'm yeah. trying, I've been trying. I'm like, I'm trying to get my, my, my Rick Ross on. I'm trying to do all that. Nothing, nothing. Like well, my 10 my, my year old's going to have more of a beard than I do by the time he's 16. So well, what, what, he's almost as tall as you are now, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It's a sad day. It's a, it's a sad day. Sorry. So I'm so happy that we just talked about that. That just made the entire episode. But anyway, go on back. there, Fred Van Vliet. Go ahead. <laughs> um, essentially, you know, I think we've kind of hit the nail on the head a few times here about how to maintain and build a national dynasty. And, you know, so one, you know, get yourself a head coach who's reputable, you know, not just in the sense of a name, but in the sense of, you know, integrity and the sense of honesty and the sense of you know really confident in the way that he approaches his job and the way that he approaches recruiting and then obviously recruiting is the lifeblood of any national dynasty so if you don't have a plan that's going to be different from everybody else who's gone in there then you're already you know five six years behind the eight ball you need to be able to take chances and as i said before fortune favors the bold if you don't have a guy who can go out and do that and if you don't have an athletic director that can actually step outside the box and you know not hire a cookie cutter coach every time there's available, you know, uh, every time there's an availability, you're going to be doing the same thing every two, three years because you're going to end up firing that guy before. So <clears throat> we kind of changed course here. You know, one thing that not a lot of people really understand is, you know, how injuries can be prevented and how to rehab injuries properly. You're seeing guys get hurt all the time and they're out, you know, guy with turf toe is out for, you know, four or five, six weeks. People are like, well, it's just a toe. How does that happen? Or why does a concussion take two weeks to, to come back from, you know? These are the types of questions that, you know, people don't really dive into because they don't have the expertise. However, we happen to have someone who is an expert at this. So for our next segment, I'm going to call the So for our segment of constantly improving, I'm going to bring it over to Jet, and he's going to talk to us about a specific injury to an athlete that's going on in sports right now and how he would go about preventing it and rehabbing it. 
Alrighty. So um, when when you initially asked me to do this segment, I, I initially was going to talk about um, Drew Brees and his SpongeBob SquarePants arms, but I left it alone. Uh, he, he lost me some money, so I'm, I'm going to just leave him alone. So um, the man, the has, no, the man <laughs> has no ribs intact, right? <laughs> So, so he's SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So, so, so the the, the injury that um, most people are going to be talking about right now um, is Patrick Mahomes. Okay, so the big thing with Patrick Mahomes right now um, is prior to getting uh, that shot that made him look like a newborn deer, um, he he injured his toe, or it may have been injured before. Who knows? He was kind of walking around gingerly. We're not sure. Now, the, re- the reason the big toe is so important is I challenge anyone to try and run or to try and throw a ball without putting weight on their big toe. That's a big deal. Now, the reason that that's very important as well is because that ultimately changes your mechanics. When you're throwing a ball and you can't shift your weight to your big toe, you are now putting a lot more emphasis on using your shoulder to get that ball out there, trying to get that whip action from your elbow, trying to get a little bit more hip action from the other side. So it's, it's throwing you out of whack a little bit, okay? So how would I rehab that? First and foremost, the biggest issue and I've seen it, I've treated NFL athletes, I've treated CFL athletes, I've treated MLB players, they all have the same issues. They wear cleats too much, okay? They wear cleats too much. And when you think about it, if you're, you're, the way your feet are supposed to move is similar to the way your hands are moving, okay? If you look at the way you wiggle your fingers, they can basically move everywhere. But if you try and do the same thing with your feet, it's not happening. Why? Because your feet have been enclosed for too long, whether, you know, from a very young age, wearing shoes, then going to running shoes. And then especially guys like, you know, Patrick Mahomes have been playing baseball and football since they were kids. Right. So over time, yes, if you're a freakish athlete, you can overcome those things. But eventually you'll get to a point where, oh, my God, you know what? I tried to stop on a dime. My my big toe doesn't bend that way. So. What, what, things that don't bend they break or they or they strain or they tear like that that's just the way it goes right so in terms of rehabbing the first thing that I would have Patrick Mahomes do is I would have him basically walk around barefoot everywhere everywhere let his feet breathe and then some people would say well that's not you know that's a little bit counterintuitive because what happens when he's in his cleat because he doesn't play barefoot well, the healthier your foot is, then you put it in the cleat, then all you're doing is wearing it for that time. On top of that, you're going to have more feedback, right? So I'm very interested to see what's going to happen in uh, the NFC champ- uh, AFC championship. First and foremost, to see if he clears the concussion protocol. I think, I think whether he scrambled eggs or not, he's going to play because we've already said that money talks. Star players seem to pass the concussion protocol a little faster. Than, you noticed? Than hey, do you remember? Players. Do you remember a few years ago when uh, Russell Wilson got his head knocked off and then he went to the tent literally for three seconds and he's like, oh, "I'm good." I saw Le'Veon Bell get knocked unconscious 
at the end of a game and he was back practicing three days later. Yeah. Yeah. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. And this, and don't forget, this is the poster child for the league who just got a $50 million a year contract, who is part owner of the KC Royals. If he doesn't play, like literally it's because he doesn't know what his own name is. Chad Henney for the win. Yeah. Henny thing is possible. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, like I said, first and foremost, the, the, the biggest thing I, w- I would do is really work on uh, having him walk around barefoot, right? And the other thing is preparing preparing his foot, right? Working the mobility of the big toe because you're going to need to run. You're going to need to change direction. If your body is not accustomed to doing, like we, we see, you know, Dak and, and his, his hip, his little hip move and his hip dance and all that stuff. But if you're not preparing things like feet and then you try and change direction all of a sudden, it's like your body goes, uh, what, what are you asking me to do right now? And you're putting it in a position to fail, right? So I'm, I'm, the, the, the thing that's going to make this interesting as well is not just his mechanics when he's, when he's running, uh, when he's throwing, but now when he has to move around in the pocket, when he has to run, because last I checked, Buffalo, they have, a, they have some fast D linemen, right? They have some aggressive D linemen that are going to force him to move. And they won't be able to move the pocket as much, right? So I think moving forward, what he needs to do is he, he, he needs to really work the mobility of, of his toe and really get that range and that strength of the toe, you know, to maximize as much as possible. And he's just going to have to gut it out because toes – do not rehab in a week. I guarantee, I promise you. Because the thing people have to realize as well is that joints and ligaments have a terrible blood supply. Terrible, terrible, terrible blood supply. Terrible, it, terrible, crazy, <laughs> terrible, head, terrible, terrible blood supply, Ken. <laughs> terrible. So, so, you know, the blood is what carries the nutrients that are going to heal any injured tissue, right? So if they don't have a very good blood supply, his toe, don't be shocked if you hear whether they win the game, whether they win the Super Bowl, whether you hear all this stuff. Don't be shocked if you hear that he has toe surgery in the offseason. Don't be shocked, right? So, that, and that's the thing. He's only 25, right? So, and, and they have so much invested in him. So, you know, hopefully he gets the proper rehab because a lot of times people ask, what's the difference between uh, a physiotherapist and an athletic therapist and this in simple terms what i tell people is i'm trying to think of you in terms of longevity whereas an athletic therapist is hey you need to get back on sunday and you got hurt last last sunday or you got hurt on you know last monday nighter but we need you in there on sunday so it's more like i'm gonna put tape on a leaky pipe <laughs> and just hope it doesn't burst until I could buy a brand new pipe later on. So let's see what happens. And I'd also work a lot of what's called proprioception. So really just getting feedback from the foot with, you know, single leg balance, uneven surfaces, changing direction, et cetera, et cetera. So let's see what happens. Um, anyway, my, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but uh, <laughs> my, 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 my wallet hopes that Mahomes doesn't play. But let's let's see what happens. <laughs> Honestly, the, that that's such a unique 
perspective on things that I think that, you know, the, the normal fan wouldn't really have access to normally. So hopefully people who are listening to this really understand the complexity of, of any injury that comes through and, you know, realistically what a, what a proper timeline would be for someone to recover from that. But, you know, Jet, I, I got to say, I love the segment, but you're really putting a damper on my new business, which was, you know, hand shoes. And, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I got to say, you, you, you dash. I'd like to buy these hand shoes from you, Kyle. <laughs> I've purchased products like this in the past. I heard that having things confined is good for your hands. <laughs> Depends what on who I you are. I took from Jethro's presentation about uh, Jonathan Mahomes' injury. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, no, sorry, sorry, pa- Patrick Manheims. I feel that uh, blood and the tissues surrounding your ligaments, it it travels fast and there's a lot of blood flowing to those ligaments. So he'll be ready for game day based on what uh, Jethro has told us. That's the biggest takeaway here is he'll be ready to go. Uh, Please do not uh, engage in any medical conversations with Kevin in the future, (laughs) either near or far. (laughs) I'm just, I think, I think his, his toe will fix itself. The, the, the other thing the other thing I'll add really really quickly Kyle is the thing that people need to realize as well is whenever someone has an injury a lot of times I'm I'm not always worried as um, as a rehab uh, facilitator I guess you could say I'm not worried most of the time about the injury itself I'm worried about the compensatory injuries yeah. you know for example if someone, uh, you know, tears an Achilles. Um, I may, you know, if when they come back the following year, I don't always worry about the Achilles. I worry about the other stuff like, oh, he's going to pull a hammy because now his posterior chain is tight. He's going to tear a, a, a groin or, you know, something like that. You know what I mean? So, that, and that's why I was saying with Mahomes, now he's, you know, he's going to have to change his mechanics, whether he's running or he's throwing. Now you have to be cognizant that he may injure something else in the process yeah no again i think everything you're saying is is so crucial for people who are listening to this to understand that being a professional athlete doesn't necessarily mean that you know you make millions of dollars and everything's glamorous like these guys and these girls are putting themselves in the line they're they're breaking bones you never even heard of they're spraining ligaments you never even heard of and you know, they have to be able to take care of their bodies. And that's why people like Jethro are, are, you know, are in the world and, you know, we're lucky enough to have access to them. So, you know, moving on from that, we're going to go on to another segment. This is kind of a, a fun one that we're going to do every week. And it's called Jesus their weird. Christ, how many segments does this guy have? Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> oh, I'm you. not. Muted. Okay. I'll Sorry. show you. I'll show you a segment. Um, <laughs> so, anyways. This one's called our weird weekly wager. And essentially what's going to happen here is one of us is going to challenge another one every week to a wager. Whoever loses said wager has to perform something fun, stupid on the, on the following show. I volunteer so, tribute. <laughs> I was actually going to go down that road. So Kevin, I am going to challenge you this week. And the wager is who do you think is going to score the most points next week out of the four teams in, in the championship games? Well, I'm not going to pick Kansas City because what Jethro just told me about toes and uh, ligaments and blood and cleats and such, 
Uh, so I'm going to narrow it down to three teams. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, AFC matchup, right? Buffalo, KC. Um, uh, no, I don't like Buffalo. We're saying teams, right? Not people. Teams. Okay. Um, Any answer will suffice. Okay, hold on. I'm thinking here. The Green Bay Packers still playing? They are. <laughs> they are in fact still alive. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll go with the Brett Favre Green Bay Packers. All right, put it on the board. Hush is owed. Um, <laughs> all right, so I am actually going to go um, against traditional thinking. I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs due to the fact that I do believe Mahomes will be back on the field. And Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey have proven that no one can really cover them. And ultimately, Buffalo's defense, although fast, they have shown – a, uh, <clears throat> a propensity to give up a lot of yards on the ground, which is what Kansas City did earlier this season. So I think that the game goes very much the same way it did the first time around, and Kansas City ultimately puts up uh, puts up a bunch of points. So I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Despite a medical doctor yep. in this podcast saying that Patrick Mahomes is going to not have a good toe. <laughs> disclaimer. Dis- disclaimer. Disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> yeah, no, you're a medical doctor. Different than a doctor. Okay, a medical doctor is a doctor of medicine. He told, you he's, he told you he's an athletic therapist, okay? Wait, what? No. <laughs> yes. I get that we're trying to support athletes with mental health problems, and that's great that he's willing to do that, but he's also a medical doctor, Kyle. So oh we need to recognize his uh, abilities as a medical doctor and you've chosen the guy with the bum toe. Absolutely. Awful decision. Absolutely. I'm feeling very confident in my pick. I'm going with my pick hand shoes. <clears throat> All right. So what's the wager? So Kev, if I defeat you, yeah. as I said earlier, I will do everything in my power to add a little bit more, you know, frost on top of the on top of the roof on our logo. And now we're talking. So and now I get to pick if I beat you. If Green Bay outscores Kansas City. Yep. Okay. And, and Green Bay could still lose the game so long as yep. they scored more points. They can okay. lose the game as long as they score more points. Okay. So I'm going to go with this, Kyle. Originally, when we were talking before the show began, you had mentioned something about a Scottish accent mm-hmm. for my segment. That's, that's all fun and games, but I'm not that nice of a person. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you are going to speak in a British accent and like the Bridgerton accent. If you guys have gotten into that show lately, it's on Netflix. It's all the rave. Is it pretty about episode five? Episode five turns into softcore pornography. And I might even (laughs) say it's no longer soft. It's core. It's not even softcore. It's core pornography, but it's a great show um, with a lot of British accents and like a high nobility British accent. Okay, not like your Cockney accents that you would hear, you know, not not the Geordie twang. I want to hear a highfalutin British accent from you, Kyle. But the trick to this wager is it's not for the show. You are only going to speak to your wife in a very highfalutin British accent for the entirety of Monday. I thought this was supposed to be a punishment. Yeah, that's a good point. But I, I suppose it's Tuesday. more punishment for your wife, I guess. I, was say, I call that Wednesday. <laughs> the only time you are allowed to stop using this 
British accent of a noble variety is when your wife either strikes you or calls me and tells me to call the bet off or texts me. That's fine. Either or. Well, she can't stand you so she's not going to be uh, she's not going to be reaching out to think, any former pet. <laughs> that's why i think i shall refer to you as mr bridgerton from, okay from so sunday evening onwards so so seeing as how i didn't actually say what you had to do i said what i would do i'm glad that you went down this road of not being very nice so what i'm actually going to have you do is you're going to have to go tarps off the entire day before we before we film and your wife needs to pick out your outfit for next Monday's show. Deal. Deal. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and just have a disclaimer here. I won't be able to go tarps off <laughs> certain hours of the day because Listen. for some reason the province of Ontario has entrusted me with teaching tomorrow's adults. Listen, and look, I'll look, lose my job and be arrested. Should look at I go topless for virtual look at teaching? What I do. Look, tubing. look at what I do. <laughs> Can't tell if I'm wearing a shirt or not, can you? A disclaimer to anyone <laughs> listening to this podcast, so all four of you, I just want to make it clear that I will at no point be topless for any of my mandating teaching hours on Monday, regardless of this wager. <laughs> I am not the kind of guy that would welch on a bet, but in this case, I will have to okay. forego tarps so, off should I lose so coordinate school hours. So what, I, what I'll do then is I'll alter it. I'm glad that you made the disclaimer down because that actually was worth its weight in gold. But maybe what I'll do is I'll have all three of our wives you know, communicate and pick out what outfit you're going to wear on Monday for the show. That's fair. All right. That's fair. Deal. All right. Put it on the board. Hushmazilla, lock it up. All right. So we've been doing this for long enough. Uh, we're going to go and... Uh, and sign off here in a minute but just wanted to have a final thought based on everything that we just talked about and you know one thing that's been kind of bothering me and Kev you and I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier this week too often in our society do you hear things like he does he or she doesn't have enough experience or that's not the way that we've always done things and that type of rhetoric is what is destroying organizations in today's climate too often are people stuck in the past. Too often do people have archaic views on things and it needs to stop in every sense of the word. When I'm looking at it from a sports perspective, I'm referring to what we were talking about earlier. Too often are these guys who are, you know, they've been coaching for 30 years, the games pass them by and they still keep getting opportunities and opportunities and opportunities because you know what? They've been around, they have experience. And they've always done that. They've always, you know, picked from the same litter. And, you know, from a, from a business and professional perspective, there's so many people who are talented, informative, you know, thinking outside the box, who don't fit the typical mold for a lot of roles in these companies. And that's ultimately where these companies are failing because they're not taking enough chances on kids who graduate from school and from people who are going through a career transition who might bring, you know, something different, you know, to an organization. So ultimately, I think my point is people need to stop having this mentality that just because someone doesn't have experience doesn't mean they're not qualified. What's interesting is that um, to echo what you're saying, a lot of the guys that we're seeing getting hired in the NFL this year as head coaches and now in the offseason are all guys who are quote unquote guys who don't have experience. 
You know what I mean? And and I think, you know, some organizations are still stuck there in terms of being archaic, but people are starting to like some organizations are starting to realize, oh, you know what? What we've been doing hasn't been working. Maybe we need a fresh set of eyes. So you know what? I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And, you know, you're, it's true. How are people going to get experience if you don't even give them a shot? You know what I mean? So 100% agree with you. Yeah, I'm going to disagree here. <laughs> I'm just, I think, uh, I think Kyle's got some good points. I think Jethro, despite being a medical doctor, is wrong. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I think at the end of the day, you could hire someone that's young, but why wouldn't you go with the person who's failed time and time again <laughs> for other organizations? I, I, I'm talking about the Greg Williams of the world. I mean, uh, Gase is going to be available very soon. If Gase gets a job, I swear. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut yet, you off. His experience, his experience tells us that he has been a head coach for two different teams at the NFL level, it only makes sense to award him for those two failures in the past. So I got to agree with, with uh, Kyle. I'm going to disagree with Jethro, um, despite him being a doctor. Only because, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Only because um, he, he used uh, an offensive term earlier in the podcast. Which of it? You said mongoloid. Oh, mongoloid? You said mongoloid. <laughs> And I, I don't know what that word really means. I just know that when I was a kid, I think I heard my dad say it. My mom gave him trouble. All oh, I'm going to say. But I really enjoyed tonight's podcast, guys. I really yeah. did. Um, I yeah, want to thank my fun, friend guys. Fred Van Vliet for coming out. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to thank um, uh, Jerome Bettis from the uh, Just for Men um, hair dye commercial. For <laughs> wow, beards. what a reference. Really wow. appreciate him uh, being here for that. I'm just going to go knock down. Franco Harris. Just gonna go knock down some threes in the 2018 NBA Finals real quick, guys. Okay. Thanks, Kevin James. Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. No, I'm just gonna go guard a mall, I guess, on a rascal scooter. Well, honestly, guys, I think it was a lot of fun. Started out a little rocky, but I think we got our feet, you know, our uh, our footing down. And uh, honestly, I think that uh, made a lot of good points tonight. And I think the last thing we'll leave it out before we say goodnight is Adam Gase should be nowhere near a football field ever again. On that note. Good night, fellas. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next week.